along life's journey, we come to various paths. And in those moments, we have to ask ourselves the question, what path are we going to choose? The one that God wants us to take or another path? The way of the world, the path that everyone else is taking, the path that may in the moment seem more simple or easy, the path that requires less of us, that doesn't really ask us to sacrifice anything, or do we listen to God's voice and take the path He wants us to take? It may seem risky at times. He may take us down some rough terrain. We may have to make some sacrifices along the way and even step outside of our comfort zones. We may even wonder where exactly God is leading us. But God promises that when we go in the direction He wants us to take, He will do unstoppable things in our midst. Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys carved out some time to worship with us today. I know it's fall break weekend for our Owasso students, and so we have some people traveling today, but we also have a ton of people here in person as well. So if you would, would you put your hands together and welcome in our online family who's joining us. I've already heard we've got people from all over that are traveling, that are joining us right now online, so we want to welcome you guys. I want to welcome Mitchell right now. He's in Texas, so glad you're worshiping with us. Yeah, he's got some fans here as well, but we're glad that all of you guys who are part of our online community are here worshiping with us today, and you're here for week two of our series, Unstoppable, and if you missed last Sunday, we launched our Unstoppable mission, and here's the thing. This is truly our mission as a church. It's not just a series, but we believe that this is a movement that God is taking us on. We believe that this is something that's going to shape our church, not just for the next six weeks or the next two years, but this is an initiative that's going to shape our church for decades to come, for generations to come, because we believe right now in this moment that God is giving us a once-in-a-generation opportunity, and a once-in-a-generation opportunity requires a once-in-a-generation response from us. And so if you missed last week, you can go to our new Unstoppable website, firstchurchok.com forward slash unstoppable, and you can look at the 10-minute vision video that we played last Sunday, you can get caught up with everything that's going on. But also last week, we also passed out these, these Unstoppable booklets, and we asked you guys to bring them back with you this Sunday, to bring them every single week during this six-week series, and I'm not going to ask you to hold them up and see how many people actually brought them back, but if you do need a book today, If you weren't able to get one last Sunday, we've got some extras and I've got some volunteers in the back right now ready to pass them out. So all you have to do is raise your hand in this moment and one of our volunteers will bring you a book and you can have one with you today to fill out. There's a place in here for sermon notes as well as small group studies. The entire vision is laid out in detail. There's some good stuff in here. Our staff worked hard to put this together, so we invite you to pick one up. And if you are worshiping at home right now, online somewhere, 
If you go back to our Unstoppable website, there is a place where you can actually request one of these books. We will get you a physical book if that's what you want, but there's also a spot where you can download a digital copy as well, and you can have a copy of our Unstoppable booklet today. But hopefully you can engage whether you're online or here in person as we move through this series. There's one more quick announcement that I want to make before we start the message today, and I want to invite you to come to another special night. On November the 5th, we're going to have our Advanced Commitment Night. It's a Friday evening. We've already checked. There's not a home football game, so don't worry about that. But at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a special night, a night that I believe our church family will never forget. A lot of cool stuff is going to happen on this evening. But one thing that's going to happen, you guys know that at the end of this Unstoppable series, we are asking our church family to commit, to be fully engaged to this unstoppable mission that God has given us. And so we're going to ask those of you who want to lead ahead, lead in advance, you can come to our advanced commitment night and go ahead and make your commitment then and be an example for the rest of our church. And like I said, if you were there that night, I've got a feeling it will be an evening that you will never forget. So go ahead and mark your calendars. We'll be talking more about that later as we get closer to the date. But November the 5th, 7 p.m., it's our advanced commitment night. Now, some of you guys might be thinking, well, boy, our church is doing a whole lot for this unstoppable thing. I mean, they're going all out. I mean, free t-shirts for everybody. By the way, if you didn't get a t-shirt, an unstoppable t-shirt, we have them at our unstoppable zone. I got word that we ran out of certain sizes, which is awesome. We thought that we had plenty, but that means you guys are excited. You want to wear the shirt. So we have more order. They're on their way. There's this supply and demand thing going on right now, but still, we're going to get more in. And so hopefully we'll have them by next Sunday, but uh, make sure that you go out there and check and see if we have your size if you haven't picked one up yet but you know we got t-shirts we made booklets for everybody we had an unstoppable vision night we're having an advanced commitment night we're doing a six-week series we've got a brand new unstoppable website that you can go to we're doing all this special stuff this must be a big deal I mean even our preacher got on a balance beam last Sunday in order to illustrate what we're trying to do as a church that's crazy and yes it was crazy for me to do that I was scared to death honestly but I appreciate by the way all the social media posts that you guys put up about this. They were real encouraging. Like this one right here, this was put up by a medical doctor who attends our church and he posted this as I was on the balance beam and he says, that moment when your day off might actually be a work day. Well, thank goodness he didn't have to go into doctor mode in that moment, uh, but I didn't fall off and I wasn't hurt. But yeah, we are going all out for this series because this is a big deal. We've said over and over again, we believe this is a defining moment in the history of our church. We believe the next few weeks will propel us into the next few decades. And in this series, we are looking at the book of Acts. We're studying the book of Acts, which is the history of the first church, the early church. And one truth that we looked at last week, and we will see this all throughout the book of Acts, is this. We are the next chapter in the story of Jesus. And we don't want to miss that truth. That is so important. See, Acts is written by this guy named Luke, who also was a medical doctor, by the way. But God inspired Luke to write two books of our New Testament. The first book that he wrote, we call the Gospel of Luke, which basically summarizes the life and the ministry of Jesus from the time of his birth to the time of his death, burial, and resurrection and when he ascended into heaven. But then Luke wrote a second book, and the second book is what we call the book of Acts. And this is the history of the first church, the beginnings of the church of Jesus. And here's the thing, when Luke starts off in Acts chapter 1, look at what he says. 
In my former book, talking about the Gospel of Luke, which described the life and the ministry of Jesus before he ascended into heaven, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, the first book that I wrote only described part of Jesus' mission. Jesus' work isn't finished yet. Jesus isn't done yet. There's still part of Jesus' plan that needs to be carried out. And what Luke is going to let us know here is that the second part of Jesus' plan is going to be carried out by his church. That it's Jesus' plan for his church to be the next chapter in his story. Because yes, Jesus completed the work of salvation on the cross. But his missionary work still needs to be done. And now we are to take that message of salvation out to the world. And he wants to work in us and through us to change the world. And here's the thing. Jesus believes this can happen. Jesus believes that we, his church can change the world when he is working in and through us. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, my church is going to be unstoppable. As long as they are allowing me to build them up, as long as they are allowing me to lead them, my church will be unstoppable. And we've seen that happen throughout history. Because for 2,000 years, our enemy Satan has tried everything he possibly could to stop the ministry and the work of God's church. And yet, for 2,000 years, after Satan throwing everything he has at us, the church has continued to grow and spread across the globe. Because when Jesus is empowering his church, when Jesus is breathing life into his church, his mission is unstoppable. And I just wonder today... If we are a people who really believe that, because it starts with us understanding the importance of our part in Jesus' plan. See, the early church, I think they understood their part in Jesus' plan. And that's why we see such phenomenal growth in the earliest days of the church. Last week, we left off in Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 records the first day of the church, the day that the church began, the day that the church was born in the city of Jerusalem. And last week, we studied how on that day when Peter and the other apostles stood up and told the people about Jesus, three thousand people were baptized, came to know Jesus as Lord, and they started the first church in the city of Jerusalem. I mean, get this, the very first church ever in Jerusalem was a mega church, 3,000 people. How cool is that? See, Jesus expects his church to continue to grow because here's the thing. It's not just that the first day of the church had this explosive growth, but the church continued to grow after that. The very last verse in Acts chapter 2 says this. This is after the church was established, after the day of Pentecost. It says this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. In other words, even after that first day, the church kept growing. So much so that it was growing daily. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, here's my question. Is that an exception, or is that supposed to be our example? That statement in Acts 2.47, that the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved, is that just the exception, something that used to happen, or is that our example, is that what ought 
to happen. And the reason why I think we even have to ask that question is because when we look at the church today, we don't always see it growing like it should be. In fact, studies will tell us that the majority of churches in our country today are not growing. And so we need to ask the question, is that the exception or is that our example? I think it's our example. I'm pretty convinced of that. Because I believe Jesus wants his church to grow. Look at all the growth metaphors that Jesus used in the Gospels. I mean, Jesus talks about his kingdom being like a mustard seed that's planted in the ground. And then it takes root and it grows up into this massive tree, much bigger than how it started. Or think about the time that Jesus talked about uh, the kingdom being like a harvest, a bountiful harvest that was much bigger than what anyone anticipated. Or think about that moment when Jesus talked about his kingdom being like servants who are given some of their master's money to invest, the talents of their master to invest, and those servants were expected to go out and double their master's investment. Jesus expects for his church to grow. What about that one time? that Jesus compared the kingdom of God to uh, this guy who threw a huge banquet. And when he came, when it came time for the banquet, he showed up to his house and his house wasn't full. And so he tells his servants, go out to the roads and the streets and find anybody you can so that my house will be full. See, God wants a full house. God expects for his family, his church, his kingdom to continue to be growing. And that's why Jesus says this. Jesus says There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God in heaven over one sinner who repents. It's obvious. God wants his church to grow. And if the church isn't growing, it's not doing what God wants it to do. But if God wants this, and if God is empowering us, he promises to empower us, then why is then we read verses like this? When we read verses like this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved, we say, but we don't always see that happening. I think the key is these three words, the Lord added. Because here's the thing. Their growth wasn't caused by their own individual abilities and talents and gifts. It wasn't because of their work. But it's because the early church allowed for the Lord to work in and through them. And God brought about the growth. And I think the same is true for us. When we stop trying to figure out church with our own wisdom, and we stop trying to just follow the pattern of the world, and we actually start listening to God... And we do it his way and we allow for him to breathe life into us. He will cause the church to grow. And here's the thing. We will be bought into his mission. We'll be focused on him. And his mission will take hold of us so that it is who we are. And we won't get distracted by stuff that doesn't matter. Let me illustrate it like this. How many guys are excited that uh, it's college football season? Anybody excited it's college football season? Let me hear you. Yeah, a whole bunch of you. That's what I figured. Hey, Oklahoma State beat Texas yesterday. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And then OU won against TCU last night too. So I know we've got some OU fans. The Kentucky Wildcats didn't fare so well, but uh, that's all right. We were playing Georgia, the number one team in the nation, okay? And up until yesterday, Georgia had only allowed for two touchdowns against them the entire season. And yesterday, we scored two touchdowns against them. So we didn't get blown out. 
and we played okay, and I'm proud of them. We're still 6-1, and one, and that's unheard of for Kentucky football. But anyway, I digress a little bit. There is somebody in our church, there's a family that's from Georgia, and they showed up today wearing Georgia football jerseys. And I just thought, come on, people, is that loving like Jesus? I mean, really? I mean, honestly? But, you know, if Kentucky had won, I probably would be wearing Kentucky right now. But that's a different story. But anyway, I love college football. My family, we got to visit Lexington a few weeks ago. We got to go see a U.K. football game. Here we are in our seats. We had an absolute blast. Before the game, we even got to meet Mark Stoops, the coach of Kentucky. I know we have a lot of Stoop family fans out there, and he's a super nice guy. But as we were walking into the stadium to watch the game on that day, we passed by a bunch of tailgaters, because tailgating is just part of the college football pregame tradition, right? I mean, it's just part of the college football season, part of the professional football season. And as we walked by some of these people tailgating, they didn't have setups like this. This is how I would tailgate, you know, pretty simple, you know? But I saw some people that had these huge setups. I mean, I'm talking massive tents, and they were grilling steaks, and they had all this expensive food that cost more than their tickets, you know, to get into to the ball game, and they had big screen TVs where they could watch other football games, speaker systems, they could listen to the sound, they had music playing, they had games out there. It was insane. They had furniture for their tailgate party that cost more than the furniture in my house. I mean, it was just nuts to see some of the setups that were out there, and that's fine. I mean, to each his own. If you can afford to do that, great, you know, whatever, but what was interesting is as we were leaving the game, we're walking back through this area where people were tailgating. We overheard this woman talking. Now, she wasn't, I say we overheard her. She was actually pretty loud. And what she said was, she was asking a question of a friend of hers, and she said, the game's over? Did Kentucky win? And her friend looked at her and said, I think so, let's ask. And so they shouted out to us passing by, the, and there's a whole group of people. They said, hey, did Kentucky win? And everybody's like, yeah, we won the game. And this woman who started the conversation looked at her friend and said, well, I guess we missed another one, didn't we? And I just kind of thought, so you have tickets to come to the game, and you come and you sit in the parking lot the whole time? You know, you actually don't go in and watch the game? And as I thought about that, I thought, that's weird because tailgating wasn't meant to be the main event. It was meant to be a precursor to the game, right? That's what you do before the game, maybe after the game. But the main event is the game itself. This lady didn't even know if Kentucky had won or not. And I wonder if sometimes if that doesn't describe the church. You know, sometimes we get all caught up in the extra stuff and we miss the main thing that Jesus wants us to be focused on. We miss the main event. And we're focused on all this other stuff, standing on the outside of his mission, what he's calling us to be engaged in, and we still claim to be part of his church. That, that experience reminded me of something that happened to Allison and me. Like, uh, before we had kids, we were invited to go tailgate with some people at a UK game. And so fr- some friends of ours invited us to go tailgate with them. And as we were tailgating, I was impressed by the setup that this family had. I mean, they had all the expensive stuff and food and you name it. It was just incredible, all the stuff that they brought out. And then as we got closer to the game, one of them looked at the other, this couple, they were friends of ours, and they said, did you get the tickets? And then the other one said, I thought you got them. And they panicked because they didn't have the tickets. They had to call a family member of theirs to drive to their house and get their tickets and bring them to them. And they ended up missing part of the game because they didn't have their tickets. And I thought, you brought out a big screen TV and speakers and chairs and a table and all this food and all this extra stuff, games, whatever, and you forgot the tickets to the game? And I wonder if that's not sometimes how we live. See, the early church, 
the early church grew because they didn't just have a mission. The mission had them. They didn't just acknowledge the mission or know about the mission. The mission had a hold of them. And when Jesus' mission has you, nothing can stop you from living it out. And that's the example that we see as we read on in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 and on into Acts chapter 4. And in, that, in Acts chapter 3, two of the early church leaders, Peter and John, they go to the temple one afternoon to pray. And as they get to the temple, this is what happens. It says, as they approach the temple, a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful, the Beautiful Gate. So he could beg from the people going into the temple. So a few quick historical facts here. This large gate known as the Gate Beautiful or the Beautiful Gate was 75 feet tall made of solid Corinthian brass. According to all historical accounts, it was impressive. People were left awestruck when they saw it for the very first time. And this was the gate that a lot of people entered into in order to participate in temple worship. But some people weren't allowed to go through this gate. If you had a physical disability, in this day and age, in their Jewish tradition, you were considered unclean. I'm not saying that's right, but that was the tradition of that day. And so you weren't allowed to go past the gate beautiful. Instead, you could just sit there, and what you did was you would beg. Because in a day and age before social services or any type of extra help, if you didn't have a family that could support you as somebody who was physically disabled, the only option you had was begging in order to survive. And so, people with disabilities would sit outside of the gate beautiful day in and day out and beg for money. And that's what's going on this day. There's this lame man who's sitting at the, tip, at the temple gate, the gate called beautiful, begging for money. And here's the thing. I bet you a lot of these guys who begged, they just kind of faded into the background because when people walked in day in and day out, they just overlooked them, they ignored them, or maybe they gave them mean, nasty looks. They didn't like the fact that they were begging. They just kind of blended into the scenery they felt as if their lives didn't matter. And I love what happens next in this passage. It says that Peter and John looked at him intently. See, this guy is calling out for money, but apparently he's not looking at people as they pass by. You know why? Begging can be degrading. Peter and John realized this, and that's why Peter said to him, look at us. See, I just pictured this man with his head down saying, can you help a buddy out? Anybody got any extra coins? Having ate for a few days, I can see him with his head down, not looking at people because he doesn't want to get the nasty looks. He doesn't want people to look through him. He doesn't want people to act like they're ignoring him. But Peter and John, they stop, and they look right at him, and then they say, look at us. I love how one translation puts it. It says, look up at us. See, what are Peter and John doing? They're saying, we see you, but we want you to see us too. We want you to make eye contact with us because you matter. Your life is valuable in our side and in God's side. Your life is worthwhile. And we want you to know that you matter. Raise your head. And I believe that that's what we're called to do as the church as well. We are to raise people's heads. We are to let them know that no matter what this world has done to them, that they are valued in God's sight and that God has a purpose for their lives. 
And so Peter and John look at this man and say, listen, buddy, we don't have what you're asking for. We don't have any extra money. We don't have any silver and gold, but we have what you need, and that's life in Jesus. We want to let you know that your life does matter to God, and God does have a purpose for your life, and your life is not defined by your disability. Your life is not defined by what people think about you. Your life is not defined by this very moment. God has a plan for you, and one day, Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to make everything right again, and you get to be part of his family as well and to illustrate that this is true Peter and John do something incredible see Peter and John were apostles so they were given special abilities by Jesus they heal this man this man's able to walk again and the Bible says that he jumped to his feet and began to walk then he went with them Peter and John into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God I love this this man had never been in the temple before he had been paralyzed since birth. And now he's able to go into the temple. And he doesn't just walk into the temple. He is jumping and leaping. Praise God. He's dancing as he walks into the temple for the first time. When's the last time you see somebody, you've seen somebody dance as they walk into worship because they're just so excited to be here? This man is dancing. He's so excited. And as he is jumping and leaping and praising God, people notice. And they realize that this was the man who was once sitting by the gate, beautiful, begging for money. And so... They wonder what's going on. And this gives Peter and John an opportunity to tell the crowd about who Jesus is as well, that Jesus has a purpose for their life, that their lives matter as well. And so Peter and John begin to preach, and the people listen intently to what the apostles have to say. But not everyone's real happy about what the apostles are saying. As you remember, Peter and John, they're in the temple preaching about Jesus, and Jesus had just been arrested not too long ago by the temple leadership. So the temple leadership, here's a, these guys are talking about Jesus who they put to death. And they're not real happy. The Bible says this. It says, they were greatly disturbed, the temple leaders, because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. Peter and John are arrested and they're put in jail. And notice what the Bible says. While Peter and John are in chains for telling people about Jesus, the very people they were telling continue to believe and the church continues to grow while Peter and John are in jail. How cool is that? You know what that lets us know? Hey, you can lock up the messengers, but you can't stop the message of Jesus. You can lock up the messengers, but you can't stop Jesus. His message is unstoppable. And so the church continues to grow, even though Peter and John are in jail. And I want you to think about why. Apparently, what Peter and John, what they were telling these people, is that Jesus was offering them something that was worth more to them than their very freedom. Because if the consequence of following Jesus is being thrown in jail, that could happen to these people as well. And apparently what Jesus was offering them was worth more to them than their very freedom. So Peter and John, they spend a night in jail. The next day they appear before the same court that had tried Jesus, basically, this Jewish court of leaders. And as they stand before these leaders, who, by the way, were masters in the art of intimidation. I mean, these were powerful, powerful, wealthy men. 
And they intimidated everybody, but Peter and John don't see intimidated at all. These country bumpkins from a podunk town stand up and tell these well-educated, powerful men about Jesus. And when they get to the end of their message, listen to what Peter says. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Peter goes for the goal line here. I mean, he just, he doesn't back down. He just lets them have it. He says, listen. You guys think that you're right with God, but you're not. The only way you can get right with God is if you know the one name that can save people, and that's the name of Jesus. And here's the thing. You may have crucified him. You may have had him arrested. You may have been against him, but he came to save you as well. How cool is that? And as Peter is preaching, and he goes for the goal line here, we just have to scratch our heads and say, how did Peter have such confidence? How did Peter have such courage? Well, it's because... Jesus wasn't a hobby to him. Jesus wasn't a pastime to him. Being part of the church wasn't just being part of a social club. Jesus was what life was all about for Peter and John. And they knew being part of his church was being part of the only institution, the only movement that would last for all eternity. And so... They were willing to give their all. Guys, here's the thing. If Peter and John believe that all roads led to heaven, do you think they're going to risk their lives for Jesus? Do you think that if Peter and John believe that all religions are the same, that they're going to stand up and risk their lives for Jesus? Of course not. They knew how important their message was, and they knew how important it was for the world to hear it. So they were willing to risk their lives because nothing that they were risking was worth more than what they were receiving from Jesus. And here's the thing, when you really know who Jesus is, nothing is more important to you than his mission. In the book of 2 Peter, the Bible says this, it says, but the day of the Lord, speaking of when Jesus comes back, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Here what Peter is talking about is the day when Jesus comes back and the entire earth will be destroyed by fire, purified by fire. And nothing that we have known will be left besides people. And those who know Jesus will go to be with him, and those who don't know Jesus won't be with him. And what's interesting here is it says everything will be burned up. I remember listening to an old preacher years ago who said that we need to go around our homes every now and then and just put post-it notes on everything with this message that says, ready to burn, to remind us that one day it's all going to be burned up. One day it's all going to be gone. So put post-it notes on your TV, on your refrigerator, on your kitchen table, your couch, your furniture. Put it on your car. Put it on your front door. Put it on everything that you physically own to remind yourself that one day this is all going to be gone. So don't make your life all about this stuff. And I thought that was a pretty good point. Now, if you do that, just do it for like a day or two. You know, I don't think I would keep it on there forever because somebody may come into your house and get the wrong idea. So just don't do it forever and make sure your kids know that this is just an illustration, okay? <laughs> that they're not to go burn anything, okay? God's going to take care of that later, okay? But going back to this tailgating illustration, if tailgating is the extra stuff, the precursor to the main event, there's nothing wrong with tailgating as long as you do it in an appropriate way. There's nothing wrong with tailgating. There's nothing wrong with having a car or a home or stuff in this life. I think God wants us to enjoy the life that he's given us. But what we need to keep in mind is that all this stuff, it's always ready to burn. This isn't the main event. 
This isn't what life is all about. And one day, it will all be gone. And I think the early church got this. Peter and John got this. And that's why they stand up to these religious leaders with a nothing-to-lose type attitude. And when they stand before them, the Bible says that when they, the temple leadership, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, where did Peter and John's courage come from? The fact that they had spent time with Jesus. And I love that line. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. I think it's one of the most underemphasized, underrated verses in all the Bible. I love that line. You know, there are a lot of verses in Scripture that we sometimes ignore or don't give a lot of attention to. And, you know, you see verses sometimes on T-shirts or license plates or maybe on coffee mugs or something like that. I want to start a coffee mug brand with verses that are oftentimes ignored. I've talked about this before. If you've been here over the past couple of years, you've probably heard me say this. But here's some examples of my product line, okay? Like this verse from Proverbs 27, 14. A loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. I love that. Don't think that would sell a lot of coffee mugs? I mean, honestly, it's a good verse right there. We never hear that preached on, do we? Okay, how about this next one? A nagging wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof. Proverbs 27, 15. You think some men would buy that? I don't know, maybe. Okay, how about this next one? My breath is offensive to my wife. Job 19, 17. That's perfect for a coffee drinker, right? Okay, that's ideal. Now, again, those are funny. Maybe people would buy those. But honestly, a verse that I think is overlooked a lot is Acts 4.13, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I talked about my coffee mug line a couple years ago in 2019, and after I did, somebody actually had a mug made up with that verse on it, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus, Acts 4.13, and then on the back they put a Chad Broaddus prototype, 2019, so I've got the first one here, but I drink out of this coffee mug often. I love it because that's what I want to be known for. I told Allison a while back, I would love to have that verse on my tombstone. Because when I get to the end of my life, if somebody said, Chad, what do you want your life to be known for? Well, there's a lot of things you could say. But if somebody's able to say about me, we can tell that he spent time with Jesus. That's all that matters. And that truth will affect every other part of my life as well. See, these men, they had spent time with Jesus even though they were unschooled, ordinary men. In Greek, those are two words that the temple leadership used to describe Peter and John. Agramatos idiotes, literally grammarless idiots. I mean, that's what the temple leadership calls Peter and John. They were guys from a little podunk town, uneducated men. But they're able to stand before these men with such confidence because their courage came from their relationship with Jesus. And we will overflow with unstoppable courage when we are full of the Spirit of Christ. See, it's not about our abilities, but it's about Jesus working through us. And that's why after the temple leadership threatens Peter and John, this is how they respond. They say, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I love how one translation puts it. It says, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot stop. Our mission is unstoppable. Because here's the thing. You don't have anything to fear when your enemy's greatest weapon has been neutralized. And no matter what these temple leaders did to them, they could not take away the only thing that would last for all eternity. And that was being part of God. 
God's kingdom. See, even if the temple leadership took the very lives of Peter and John, they knew one day they'd have to die anyway. And guess what? Death has been defeated on the cross. And so they had resurrection hope. And here's the thing. The people of the resurrection, which is us, we have nothing to fear in this world. And so we can live with the nothing-to-lose kind of attitude. And what's interesting is the religious leaders don't know what to do with Peter and John. So they threaten them some more, and they say, don't talk about Jesus anymore, and if you do, it's where else. And they let them go. Peter and John go back to the church, and they tell the church everything that happened, and the church goes to God in prayer. And what do you think they prayed for? I mean, if... In our day and age, if I were to come back or some of our church leaders came back to you guys and said, hey, we've just been told by the government not to talk about Jesus anymore. And if we do, there's going to be consequences. What do you think we would pray in that moment? I'll tell you what I think we would pray. Knowing us, we'd probably pray, God, please don't let that happen. God, please keep us safe. God, please comfort us. God, strike down our enemies, you know, or whatever, you know. That's probably what we would pray. Don't let this happen. You know what the early church prayed? Now, Lord, consider their threats, the threats of our enemies, and enable your servants, us, to speak your word with great boldness. They didn't pray for comfort. They prayed for courage. They prayed for God to give them the strength to keep doing what had just gotten them in trouble. They knew he would get them in trouble again. But instead of praying for comfort, they pray for courage to keep doing what God was calling them to do. And I wonder if that's what we pray. You see, we're here to give life away. We get life to give it away. And if I were to put this picture up on the screen and ask you, what is this? You might say, if you've been paying attention during this Unstoppable series, that's our new First Kids building. Some of you may say, well, that's a picture of $6 million. That's how much the building's going to cost. That's not what I would say. When I look at this picture, what I see is 21,000 square feet of what I like to call the gate beautiful. Because I believe this is going to be a gate where the next generation gets to come and experience the love of God and realize that God has a purpose for their life, and realize that their lives matter to Him. I believe this is a gate where special needs students can come and can hear that God deeply loves them, and that He sees them, and that their lives matter to Him. I believe this is a gate where our community can come and can know about the light of Jesus in the midst of the darkness that surrounds us. I believe this will be a testimony to our community, to our church, that our God is an unstoppable God. Because I believe 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, we can look back and point at that building and say, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of an uncertain economy, in the midst of fear, we put our faith in our unstoppable God, and God did that. That's what I believe this is a picture of. Because this isn't a picture of a building. This is a picture of our mission. And that's why we're not doing a building fund, because this is not about building a building. We believe this is our next logical ministry step, what God is asking us to do. And so, we're just asking you guys to look at your own giving right now, 
and expand upon it in such a way that in two years, we can have enough money to build this building. And I know that's a big ask and a big challenge, but we've been given a big mission, and we have a really big God. And I think our church gets the importance of that. Take a look at this video. When I look back at my life and the people who have impacted me the most in my walk, right, in my spiritual experience, th the single common thread about those people is that they are generous, you know, beyond measure. And whether it's my parents or youth pastors I have or uh, friends, uh, small group, you know, members. Um, and so I think the lesson learned from that for me is if I want to likewise be impactful and likewise um, affect people in a positive, Christ-filled way, then, then I need to be generous. I think this initiative will impact the growth uh, and longevity of First Church because it directly aligns with the needs of the Owasso community itself. If you've been in, in any of the children's facilities recently, we're busting at the seams. I mean, even in the midst of a pandemic, we are absolutely busting at the seams, which is incredibly exciting. But, you know, we, we need space. We need a place where not only can all the children who are already here be and grow and flourish, but the families who have yet to join our church, our kids' friends, we want that this to be a place that they can invite um, non-believers in their lives as well. And, you know, I just really earnestly believe that, that that's how we change our community, that's how we change our families, that's how we change the 918, um, is, is through that generation and, and impacting them for the Lord. I think in this next season for us to be unstoppable means we're going to have to sit down and take a look at where all of our money is currently going and deciding um, what sacrifices we're going to choose to make uh, in order to intentionally give to this effort at First Church that we believe in. At some point, the rubber meets the road. If we're going to come together, we're going to worship on Sunday mornings and we're going to pat each other on the back about how we want to affect the 918, how we want to grow um, and provide ministries to that community. At some point, we have to physically be willing to, to sacrifice and to give and to uh, give of ourselves and of our time. Hey, if this is the mission of the church, then we need to make it a mission of the church in action. Saved people are sacrificial people. You know why? Because saved people live like they have nothing to lose. That's what we see in the book of Acts. And I hope that's what we see in our church as well. And those booklets you got, there's a commitment card in there as well. And we don't want you to do anything with those commitment cards today besides pray over them. Because there's going to be a commitment Sunday coming. And we want 100% of our church engaged in this mission that Jesus has given us. And saved people are sacrificial people because we live for what eternally matters. The first church got this. And look at how this passage ends. We'll wrap up here. It says, after they prayed, remember they prayed for boldness? The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. After they prayed this prayer for courage and boldness, God shook the very place where they were meeting. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke God's word with boldness. 
Are we praying prayers that are going to shake this place up, shake Owasso up? You know what that boldness looks like? Look at the very next verse. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. They were unified. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. You know why? Because they knew it was all ready to burn. It was all going to be gone one day. None of what they owned belonged to them anyway. They were just managers of what God had entrusted them with. So they wanted to use it for God's purposes. So they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. See, these early Christians understood that it's not about asking for comfort but for courage to do the tough stuff that God is calling us to do. And maybe we need to change the way we pray. Maybe instead of praying for our comforts, we need to pray for courage. And I believe that when that becomes our prayer life, God will shake this place up, shake our community up in ways like we never thought possible. Let's put our faith in our unstoppable God. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for today and I thank you for this time we had to open up your word. We pray that we do not pray prayers of comfort but of courage and that you will give us the boldness to do the tough stuff that you're asking us to do. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.